0: Hey there sexy techies.
1: Hey everybody. Happy New Year everyone. Happy
0: New Year 2024. Woohoo!
1: It's gonna be a good one I think. Oh why? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Just a feeling. (laughs) I mean why not be optimistic right?
0: Exactly yeah it's um what is it called when you put it out there and in the universe?
1: Oh, uh, like you're manifesting it. Yeah. Yeah. We did with like deja vu. We had that same exact conversation. I know. I can
0: never remember another that word another episode. Yeah. And we also had that same conversation pretty recently <laughs> and I still can't remember the word. Yeah. Let's manifest a great 2024. I think it's going to happen.
1: All right. So I hope everybody's well rested. Uh, got to spend some time with family and friends. We've been resting, uh, except today's new year's day, we didn't exactly take it easy last night, no. uh, unfortunately, today. I,
0: I want to rest more, honestly. <laughs> yeah.
1: But we did, uh, we did make a change to the podcast mm-hmm. over the break. We did. So we have new podcast cover art. So if, you've, if you're listening on Spotify or anywhere you're listening, you should see a new design Or like our podcast logo.
0: Yeah, check it out. It's really exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a a little more professional. Um, So when we started the podcast, we really were thinking of it as an MVP, like when you're building software, like doing product development or uh, product management. uh, It was a minimum viable product, right? Like we didn't know if we were going to like it. Um, We didn't know if we were going to be any good at it. We didn't know if anybody else would like what we were putting out there. Uh, So we Didn't invest very much. Uh, May made our logo um, (laughs) in PowerPoint, I think.
0: Um, Yeah, that is how I design things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, we bought some equipment that was relatively inexpensive uh, just to, to test things out. And we made it through season one and we enjoyed it and people are listening. So we figured we'd invest a little bit into it. And so we got a new logo. I also got a few other things for the podcast. So I'm, I'm. If you're watching on video, I've got new headphones. Um, mm. they're more comfortable. I, I, uh, I got them as a Christmas gift. My brother Matt also got us this sweet new audio interface here. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you can really see it. It's kind of hidden behind our computers. If you're, if you're watching, but uh, it does some really cool things. Like uh, I, I don't even know all the things it does yet. But I know that it can make my voice sound like this, which is pretty cool. Um,
0: kind of creepy, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I
1: can do some crazy stuff. Uh, and I think the, the quality is much better than what we were working with before. But on the first segment today, I wanted to talk about our new podcast art. Uh, but more specifically, I want to talk about how we um, got it created.
0: Yes, not, it, not on PowerPoint this time. Not in PowerPoint. <laughs> we
1: had a, a professional designer do it um, on a site called Fiverr, yeah. uh, which many of you may be familiar with. It's one of the largest freelance marketplaces out there. Uh, so I wanted to cover a little bit of Fiverr's history, a little bit of the uh, freelance industry. Cool. Um, and are, how much background do you have on Fiverr? Like, have you ever bought a gig on Fiverr? You ever purchased anything on Fiverr?
0: Um, I didn't know it was called buying a gig. Oh, okay. I just thought it was like buying someone's services. <laughs>
1: yeah, they call them gigs, but yeah. they're, it's a project.
0: That makes sense. Yes, we've we've used them before um for some graphics that we needed to have done.
1: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what I've used the these marketplaces for before generally too. um graphics, a little bit of programming help sometimes uh, in the past. Um but so the freelance market itself is enormous and it's growing uh mm-hmm. fast. So currently there are 58 million Americans freelancing mm. every year and they are making a combined $1.4 trillion each year. Oh, my year.
0: For freelance.
1: Freelancing, yeah. yeah. Offering their services um, on a freelance basis. Freelancing is projected to become the largest employment segment in the U.S. by 2027. Wow. So more people will be freelancing than like full-time employed.
0: That's by, interesting. By
1: an employer, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So Fiverr was founded in 2010 in Israel by two guys, uh, Mika Kaufman and... Shai Winninger. Mm. So Mika and Shai were friends and uh, Mika had had some, he he had founded a few companies before and he and Shai were talking about like what they wanted to do next. And they had these like weekly idea sharing calls about businesses that they could start together, Mm. Uh, which, you know, anybody who's entrepreneurial probably knows what that's like, Mm -hmm. right? Like you get an idea, you Especially if if you're you know are considering starting a company with someone or even if you just like to bounce ideas or you know like what if we did this yeah. right like what if we yeah. started this company so they had these phone calls, and Fiverr came out of one of those phone calls and it was one of those ideas um Mika described it where you know you sleep on it and then you wake up the next day and you're still thinking about it, mm-hmm. and then you know you wake up the next week and you're still thinking about it and it, yeah. so you know those are the kind of ideas that you you want to sort of uh lean into yeah and uh People would say, like, double click on these days. I feel like everybody says double click. Who's everybody? (laughs) Okay, (laughs) never mind. Um, So, their goal from the beginning was to make working with freelancers as easy as buying something on Amazon, basically. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I I guess I should explain how Fiverr works for anybody who hasn't used it before. So, Fiverr is a marketplace for. Purchasing freelance services. So the way that it works is you go on to the website. It's Fiverr.com and there's two R's in Fiverr and you browse for gigs that match what you're looking for. So um, they offer services like design, programming, video editing, marketing, translation, um, writing, all different types of services. I didn't
0: know anything else about Fiverr except for graphic. Design. So that's interesting to know that they also do like video editing and translating.
1: Oh, yeah. There's, um, I mean, basically anything that you can think of to outsource to somebody else to do, like you could get it done on Fiverr. Like,
0: if I wanted to write you a song for our anniversary, I can go on Fiverr and someone can write us a song.
1: I, Probably. I mean, okay. I bet somebody offers a gig to write songs huh. for people. Check it out. I don't know. Interesting.
0: Um, so like I can go, I can be a Fiverr freelancer freelancer, and come up with hashtags for people's like weddings and birthdays and events.
1: If there's a market for that, if people are willing to pay for it.
0: I think they are.
1: <laughs> I'll test test the butters. <laughs> okay. Interesting.
0: <laughs> Didn't realize it was for just so much more than just graphic design. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. So you start by, um, you know, let's say you find somebody who's offering a service that you're interested in. You can see their profile. You Mm -hmm. can see their picture, um, their name, where they're from, like what country they're from. Um, There's a lot of uh, U.S.-based but also international freelancers on Fiverr. Um, You can see a description of the gigs that they offer and the price that they charge. Mm. You can see their previous ratings um, to determine, you know, all this stuff to determine if they're the right fit for your project. You can message the seller if you have questions. Um, you want to make sure that they can do something for you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, when you find the person that you want to work with, you place an order by um, providing the project details and requirements and then submitting your payment. Uh, once the seller delivers your work, you can review it and request revisions if you need any revisions to the work, if, you know, if necessary, or um, if you're satisfied, uh, or once you're satisfied with the offer, you mark it complete. Um, the payment is processed. And you can leave a rating and feedback for the seller.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So the reason it's called Fiverr is at the beginning, every task or gig on the marketplace uh, was priced at $5.
0: Oh, interesting. I had my theories, but that wasn't it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was your theory?
0: It's like after they complete a gig and their work is great, like you give them a high five, like a or a high fiver.
1: Oh, high fiver. Okay, or like a five star rating.
0: <laughs> oh, yep, that too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um
0: some sort of validation with a 5 in it. <laughs> maybe
1: those are other meanings like behind it, but but yes, initially every gig cost $5. Okay. So, like that was a requirement to to be on the platform as a freelancer. You had to price your gigs at $5. So, they went like really far down market at like, you know, small small businesses, you know, this isn't targeted towards the enterprise, right? That like, you know, the you can think of like the, how small a project would have to be and like what kind of quality you're, you're looking at for $5, right? Mm-hmm. Mika said, I was listening to a podcast that uh, Mika was interviewed on and he said that when he initially told people the idea, mm-hmm. a lot of the feedback he got was like, who would be willing to do work for $5 and what type of work mm-hmm. could you possibly get done for $5? Like thinking there was no market for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turned out to be, entirely wrong. Uh, there was a huge market for, uh, people willing to do that work and people, you know, looking for work that would cost $5. Yeah. And, you know, I I think just in terms of coming up with ideas, um, that tells us that like people aren't very good judges of what's a good idea. Um, you know, if you have an idea for something and you're passionate about it and, uh, you know, you've slept on it and like, you you really want to go for it. Like, don't let somebody else telling you that uh, they don't think it's a good idea stop you from trying because like you're not going to figure it out. You're not going to learn whether it's a good idea just by asking someone if they think it's a good idea. You need to get people actually using the thing that you want to make.
0: Right. You can't like can't have a fear of failure just from what you hear. You actually have to fail.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, mean, and it depends on like the people giving you feedback and like the substance behind their feedback too. Mm -hmm. Like if they just don't get it, Um, Yeah. Right. I mean, we're bad at like humans are bad at uh, determining, you know, what kinds of behaviors other people, you know, might might have. Um, It's just a guess.
0: Right. Right. Unless you're like a data expert and you've kind of garnered all the information. (laughs) Yeah. If you've tried to
1: start this, uh, if you've tried to do this exact idea before and failed and have all these reasons why it wouldn't work and they're they're good ones.
0: (laughs) Right. There you go then.
1: So to learn more about the, like the market and the problems, I thought this was cool. So Mika tried, and this is something that, you know, a lot of successful founders do. Um, He tried hiring freelancers um, through the traditional route. So like he talked to friends, he got recommendations uh, for freelancers. Mm -hmm. He met with people in coffee shops, these freelancers, and, um, you know, they, they had back and forth conversations, exchanged proposal, like, uh, you know, proposals and, um, feedback and he said, on average, it took about 30 days to hire a freelancer. okay Just some of the problems that he noticed in the space pricing um, was an issue in pro- like the whole proposal and pricing and transparency around pricing payments. Um, you know, you needed to somehow pay the freelancer that you were working with mm-hmm. um, if you found them, you know, not through a platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you had to get them to sign a contract, maybe an NDA. Uh, exchange files, uh, maybe, you know, you're emailing files back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what happens if you're unhappy with the result? Uh, it was just very complex and time-consuming. And not to say that Fiverr was the first uh, platform, the, like the first marketplace for freelancers. There was another marketplace. I think Elance uh, was one of, if not the first, mm-hmm. freelance marketplace. Um, Elance is now Upwork. Um,
0: oh, I've heard of Upwork.
1: Yeah, Elance and i think odesk merged at some point in the 2010s and then they rebranded as upwork okay. at some point so their their goal with fiverr was to remove as much of that friction as possible mm-hmm. and increase the efficiency in what they saw as like this enormous market with huge potential and the vision really was to make it feel more like an e-commerce website than a labor right. marketplace yeah like and that's why they you know, that's why you list gigs on Fiverr. So it's mm-hmm. almost like when I go on looking for something, I'm looking at, I'm I'm looking at a product that you're offering. I mean, it, it's a service, but mm-hmm. like it's, it's unlike on Upwork where like you have all these people who do, let's say web development and I have to give them my requirements and they come back to me with a proposal, with a price. Um, on Upwork, it's more smaller projects. Um, they've gotten into some bigger projects now, but they're but they're listed as gigs mm-hmm. with a specific price. Mm-hmm. So, like when when we got our logo designed, I knew, I, I mean, I paid up front. It was like ninety dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that was going to be the price. Um, I knew. I know that that's the price that that seller charges everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no negotiation. Um, I like that about uh, Fiverr when you're working. You know, when you're looking at small projects like that. Right. So after they built Fiverr, they built the platform. Uh, the average time. For a person, a buyer, to find a freelancer and place an order on Fiverr now is about 15 minutes. Oh, wow. Compared to the 30 days or yeah. so, the old way, uh, like the old-fashioned way. Wow. Which is pretty crazy, uh, yeah. the amount of value that that, you know, that that provides. Definitely, And they really did want to like reduce as much of that friction as possible. So they built everything into Fiverr that they could so that you don't have to leave Fiverr to do mm. any of that stuff. Smart. So, yeah, So, um, obviously they built in payments, Mm -hmm. um, chat, video conferencing, um, so you can conference right with your freelancer through Fiverr contracts, file exchange, a rating system. Uh, they really, and and they compare themselves to sites like Amazon, um, and even like Airbnb and Uber where, you know, they took this kind of stodgy industry, Mm -hmm. um, with a, almost like a broken system, um, where the 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 marketplace dynamics weren't really there right um like think about uber Uh, think about like ordering a taxi Taxi back in the day oh
0: my goodness yes
1: yeah your options were either you know if you're in a city Mm -hmm. you can go wait on the street and hope one drives by right um which really only works in huge downtown areas i was just
0: gonna say the only time that i ever like raised my hand and a cab instantly got there was new york city right like it wasn't even like that in dc
1: no right um, it was very, yeah, it was very challenging. Um, it, or you call and right. like, that was a terrible experience too. Absolutely. It's like they never showed up or like, right. <laughs> the, or, z- like the zone system. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, or
0: even if it was like New Year's Eve, like you you knew that you're going to call and you're going to wait for somebody to answer. And
1: Oh yeah. For, for like an hour sometimes right. or, yeah. or they would just never answer. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, they wanted to do to freelancing what those companies did to that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I get it.
1: So now, like, the company's still called Fiverr. $5 is no longer the price of every gig. Um, $5 is the minimum price uh, for a gig, though. Mm -hmm. Um, I was looking... It looks like the average is about $100, um, you know, more or less, depending on what type of service you're looking for. Okay. Um, I mean, and some go up into the thousands. Okay. um, But, you know, just on average, it looks like about $100 is is, uh, what most people are charging for their gigs. Fiverr makes money by taking... 20% Twenty percent of the cost of the gig um, and a five and a half percent service fee that the buyer pays okay so like if a gig was a hundred dollars um, the seller would get eighty uh Fiverr would get twenty, and then Fiverr would get um another five and a half percent on top of that, so I would have to pay what a hundred and five fifty yeah um,
0: right, okay, are you able to tip the fiverr? Vendor,
1: you are. Um, and actually, after they complete the order, um, and you approve it, mm-hmm. it, it actually asks you if you'd like to tip. It says it's customary to to leave okay. a tip. So uh, up to this point, Fiverr has raised five rounds of funding, um, and they raised over one hundred and ten million dollars in oh. those funding rounds uh, before they went public in twenty nineteen. So now they're a publicly traded company on the. New York Stock Exchange, uh, their current market cap is just over a billion Mm dollars. In 2022, they made $337.4 million in revenue, Mm. um, which was an increase of over 13% from the the year prior. Um, Each year, they seem to be growing um, at a pretty high rate. Yeah. Uh, they're still not profitable as of 2023, Interesting, but they expect to turn their first profit in 2024.
0: Oh, this is the year.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, they are a huge part of the gig economy. Um, over th- 830,000 active freelancers are um, on Fiverr. Mm. I thought it was interesting. Um, Mika actually attributes at least some of their success to Timing. Um so they started in 2010 mm-hmm. which was around the time millennials started entering the workforce. Okay. Um mm. I know what's going. Yeah, so um and millennials um you know there's sort of a change in career paths and trajectories um you know a lot of shorter duration jobs um, versus staying at one company for your entire career or, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 or 30 years at least, Mm -hmm. you know, the rise of contracting. Um, Uber was founded in 2009, Mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of people becoming more comfortable piecing together different jobs and income streams to earn a living instead of just working for one company.
0: Yeah.
1: And so Fiverr sort of rode that wave Mm -hmm. um, and that shift, which um, you know, a lot of successful companies do, um, and whether they me- they mean to or not, sometimes they're lucky. Um, sometimes that, that they know that the shift is coming. Mm-hmm. So, it, I mean, for anybody you know looking to start a company, if you can latch on to one of those waves early, right? Um, you know, yeah, that's that was smart. Yeah, definitely. Um, but for anyone thinking of building a marketplace startup, uh, know that success in building a two sided marketplace is extremely difficult. There are a lot of challenges that you face when building a marketplace that you don't face building other businesses. Okay. One of our products, we tried to build a marketplace, um, at the the company that I founded, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you know, it, it may not seem like they're so difficult because we hear about a lot of the marketplaces out there. Like mm-hmm. if you think of, I mean, you, like the average person probably uses half a dozen of them, right. um, you know, Uber, mm-hmm. Airbnb. Etsy, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. all of these are are marketplaces and they had to start somewhere. They all had to get past that chicken and the egg problem of like, you know, when you start from zero, how do I get enough enough sellers on the platform when there aren't any buyers? And Mm -hmm. how do I get enough buyers on the platform, you know, until I get enough sellers to provide the services? So you've got to get through that and you've got to get enough traction to sort of get that flywheel going um, to sustain itself. Mm -hmm. Competition can be Really tough, um, especially if there's like a clear name brand winner mm-hmm. in the space, mm-hmm. and margins can be really low. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that Fiverr is probably not uh, profitable yet. I mean, they're just they're taking a percentage of the right. of the fee, yeah. right? Yeah, and you know they can raise that, but they're gonna piss off. A lot of, of people, and they—they, they, I yeah. think they have raised it. I think I saw that it was previously 14% oh, and now really? it's
0: 20%. I know. I kind of uh, balked a little bit at when you said 20%. I thought that was like kind of a big cut. Um,
1: yeah, I'm, I think it's fairly standard, though. I see a lot yeah. of marketplaces take, I, I don't know what Uber takes, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's somewhere around there. Right. Um, but I know well. it's
0: something that like people always complain about. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, yeah, as, as being part of that marketplace.
1: Sure. Um, so I've used Fiverr a few times now. Um, and you know, my thoughts on it personally, I, I enjoy using Fiverr. I've actually never had a bad experience, um, using Fiverr. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only used it for small projects. Um, you know, I think probably a hundred dollars is probably the max that I've paid somebody anything, you know, for anything on Fiverr. Like I said, I like that the price for the gig is already set. You can see past examples of the exact work that you're looking to have done. Yeah. So like the person that I hired, he had a gig for, it wasn't just, he's a designer. It was, you know, I'm a designer and here's a gig for creating your podcast cover art. And he showed, you know, dozens of samples of, of cover art that he created.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that you really like that because when we had to go back and do different iterations for things, I had like a vision in my mind, but I couldn't really explain it. Because that's just who I am. I have this, like, I'm big picture. But then when it comes to, like, what's the detail you're talking about, it was hard for me to, like, extrapolate. But then you're like, here's his portfolio. Look through it. What font exactly did you have yep. in mind? And I was able to kind of see, like, what was similar to what I wanted in my head.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's that's true. And that's um, a good point. It leads me into my next uh, portion is sort of, like, advice for you know, having success on, Mm. on sites like Fiverr, Mm -hmm. um, you really need to know what you're looking for going into it. Um, you can't expect the same sort of like consultative approach you'd get Mm -hmm. if you partnered with an agency where you're going to like sit down and like talk about your concept and get some constructive feedback and like bounce ideas off of each other. Like you, you really need to know what you want. Um, and like, think about, so we went in, we, our first concept that we had for our, for our cover art, you know, what was your reaction when you saw the design that came back?
0: I didn't think it was good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was because there were a couple iterations that we got. Um what did I say about it?
1: Well, so originally we were gonna have like more of our bodies in the oh, yeah. cover art. <laughs> and it it I think it it ended up being a, a mix of like it was a difficult concept to execute well. I think um, it, you know, it may have been beyond the skill of the designer that we chose. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it, you know, in hindsight, it probably just wasn't a great idea. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. And, you know, if you worked with an agency, they would probably tell you that ahead of right. time. They would have been like, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. Let's try this instead. Or, you know, yeah, we had to kind of figure that out on our own.
0: Yes. <laughs> Which is interesting for um, it's because every time, you know, we talk about these like new companies or these like startups, I always think about like my personality type. And if I would, you know, succeed in, you know, these things and these concepts and just knowing my personality type and what a collaborative person I am. I kind of need that like consultation um, process. Yeah. Because I have these ideas, but then I need a little bit of validation to like, is that something that you can do? Or, you know, are you following along with what I'm saying? Basically? Yeah.
1: And so uh, another piece of advice that I have is like, send a message to the person that you're thinking of working with or a couple of people mm-hmm. and Tell them your idea mm-hmm. and, and, you know, this is before you place the order mm-hmm. and ask them if they, you know, could do something like that. And, and I did that. And he said, he said, yes, I think it's a great idea. Like, but I mean, you know, he just wants you to buy the thing. Right. right? right. So, right. so, um, but you can get an idea of their responsiveness, their communication skills. Sure. Um, you know, if, if you only speak English, you know, whether they know English well, um, that sort of stuff, because right. you're going to be, commu- you're, you know, you're going to be working with this person, um, the more you put into it up front, um, I think the the happier you'll be with the outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, this this whole process took like two days. So um, it was incredibly fast from the time yeah. I placed the order to like, I think we got like four revisions. Um, and then, you know, it was two days later we were done and mm-hmm. we had, you know, the the files. So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't own any stock in Fiverr. Like I'm not uh, I'm not selling Fiverr, but like. I think, you know, especially as a founder, um, resources like Fiverr are great Yeah, uh, because right. you don't need to do everything yourself. Um, you should try and do as much as you can yourself at the beginning, but, like, you can also burn yourself out. Um, Absolutely, yeah. And when you can hire somebody for pretty cheap to do right. things that you may not be good at yourself, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, why not
0: right yeah if you would have asked me to redo our logo i think i would have been mad
1: (laughs) okay everyone you're probably wondering why podcasters are always like hit the subscribe button means a lot we'd really appreciate it so if you don't know more subscribers means more listeners to the podcast each episode it's more likely that you're going to download a future episode also in the charts that helps a podcast to grow To get more listeners to be presented in front of a a larger audience, only about half or even less than half of the people who listen to the podcast each week are subscribed. So hit that subscribe button or that follow button. It will help the podcast to get more attention. It will help make sure that we keep giving it the attention that it needs to create a quality podcast that you all will hopefully continue to love. So hit that button. That's all we'll ask.
0: Okay, so it's the new year, and what's exciting about a new year is that there is a possibility of so many new trends that can come about um, in 2024 that either have kind of started creeping their way like to the forefront of people's minds, or maybe they'll just explode all of a sudden because of things that are happening in 2024. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about were um, just some of the big trends that um, we are probably going to be seeing in 2024 um, based on, you know, experts who are kind of like looking at the data and, you know, seeing like spikes in numbers and usage and things like that. And maybe it could even help any of our listeners that are thinking of, you know, starting a startup or starting a business that maybe they can be in one of these fields that we talked yeah, about. That's where know. my mind was going. Yeah. So there's no rhyme or reason to this list that I have. I'm only going to highlight like, you know, three trends that I saw from like different articles um, that came up. But um, so the first one I wanted to kind of just like start a little, you know, light and <laughs> um, wanted to get kind of like to the bottom of things. Okay. And what I mean by that is the trend of butts,
1: like bum bum <laughs> asses, <laughs> asses. Okay, <laughs> gluteus maximus. All right.
0: So, and when I say butts, I am not talking about women's butts. I am talking about the big fitness trend for men to have big butts. Did you have you heard of this? Have you heard that this is becoming a thing?
1: Um, no, but I would like to <laughs> but, say. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, so I started working out a lot more in 2023. Okay.
0: Um, and, uh, I, that was yesterday learned <laughs> as that was yesterday,
1: <laughs> but you know, like mid 2020, early to mid 2023. And, um, you know, I had always neglected my, uh, glutes mm-hmm. in my workouts mm-hmm. and I learned, uh, how important the glutes were, mm-hmm. um, to your baby, I mean, especially when you're dealing with like chronic pain yeah. and back pain and things like that. So, um, I would like to say I, I don't know if I started this trend,
0: (laughs) but I was
1: definitely, uh, in early. (laughs) Okay. Okay.
0: Well, I mean, it is something that experts have noticed is definitely, um, there's a rise in number of men focusing on glute work at the gyms and with personal trainers. Um, they're seeing that, you know, at the gyms, the squat racks and other like glute focused equipment is what's in high demand. Now I mean, I think you know a couple of years ago it was always like the elliptical or the um treadmill, you know, for cardio, but they're kind of seeing that like the glute uh, equipment is um, being monopolized these days um so they're also seeing that um, Pilates and yoga classes that traditionally focus on you know, ass work, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not
1: the, <laughs> that's a technical term, <laughs> ass work.
0: um, have been increasingly popular and with um, men. Yes, yeah, Sorry. With men okay. specifically, um, and Equinox gym, um, they added a workout class called best butt ever. And, um, it's being, it's more popular among men, um, over the last 16 months. Wow. And so kind of like to your point, I think that men are seeing that the gluteus maximus, which is, you know, the largest muscle, I think, in your ass, your largest ass muscle. Mm. um, It's actually the largest and most powerful muscle in the whole human body. Um, I don't know if this is true, but like I I feel like people say they can like crush cans with their ass. I'm, I'm sure maybe they could. Some people can. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Did I make that up? I'm not sure.
1: (laughs) I don't know, like, why, who's tried, but sure.
0: (laughs) But, um, so, like, you know, very developed glutes can improve your functionality, making you stronger, run faster, just make you just more athletic, jumping higher, improving acceleration. Um, and then building strong glutes, like what you said, has significant, um, benefits for your posture and it stabilizes your pelvis and helps protect your lower back. So if you're having any lower back pain, um, which a lot of men do because of like, I don't know, heavy lifting that they do or like bending and lifting improperly or uh, just
1: sitting all day and not (laughs) Not exercising enough.
0: (laughs) Yeah. On the other side of the spectrum, (laughs) um, you know, maybe you should consider, you know, working out your glutes. Um, weak glutes could lead to serious, um, injuries and pain throughout the body, like what you said. So it is definitely something to focus on and look at, but not only are men, there's a trend of men working out, you know, their butts, but there's also a trend that, um, clothing companies are seeing, um, where men are like updating their wardrobes to accentuate their rear area. So, do you know the clothing company Rhone? R H O N E?
1: I've heard of it. Yeah.
0: So they're like a um, men's fitness clothing mm-hmm. brand. Um, and their sales of um, their slim commuter pants jumped 55%. And their commuter pants are known to kind of like be flattering around the batacle area. Okay. <laughs> um, How and- many different ways can we say it? <laughs> <laughs> this is fun. And um, and the skinny version increased 33%. So they're seeing like a huge increase in sales, not just um, in men wanting to create a good butt, but also having the optics of having a great butt. And, it, you know, people are saying it's because when you have a nice looking ass, people know that you are fit. Like if you have really great abs, you can still hide that even if you don't have good abs. But if you don't have a good butt, you can't can't hide that. Like people know if you have a good butt or not. True or false? With all the butts you've seen, I know you have. <laughs>
1: um yeah, I I mean, I think it's generally harder to tell on men just because their clothes are not as form-fitting. Um but yeah, I, and that was one of the things I was thinking of is like is are the fashion trends leading men in this way because mm-hmm. men's clothing is becoming, you know, men's clothes are becoming tighter. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you are, you know, something that maybe you used to be able to hide is more visible Yeah, now.
0: maybe. Um, I do know that um I know you would love to think that you started the butt trend, the workout no, butt trend. No, I, <laughs> but um d- I'm <laughs> just
1: just uh sharing facts. <laughs>
0: um, but I do know that like in I want to say like 2021 <laughs> or something, um there was a TikTok challenge called um the cake check challenge. Oh. And um that's where, you know, a person would like lay down on their tummy at the gym and somebody pushes a barbell over their legs from behind. So it kind of rolls towards their ass. And they see if the bar rolls just like upwards and like bounces off your ass or if it just like glides right over your glutes. So oh, okay. That um I don't know. That made people want to have a bigger butt. Yeah. If they didn't pass that challenge or something. So Anyway, so I just figured I'd highlight that because there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, businesses and startups to capitalize on this trend. Um, I was just kind of thinking like workout apps and programs, um, you know, that can help develop exercises for the glute area.
1: Yeah, the uh, the peach.
0: Yeah, the, the peach. Yeah, <laughs> Is that I what mean, we're going to call I haven't
1: it? Said, well, you know, isn't that the, that's the like icon, the emoji yeah, that yeah, you use, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So someone and start an app called The Peach. Um, And it's all about butt workouts. And maybe it could be like a whole social network where, you know, people compare peaches. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I have
1: seen um, at least one, I'm sure there are plenty of Instagram influencers too, who like Mm -hmm. target, uh, this is more towards women, I think. But like target, you know, women who want to work on their butt specifically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even influencers that um, sell clothes um, made for basically women's asses. Like there's leggings that can really like accentuate, you know, your butt cheeks Mm -hmm. more. Mm Yep. (laughs) Targeted ads for you maybe. (laughs) Um, so, and that was the other like business idea. I was thinking that, you know, there's more clothing breakthroughs that have helped define women's butts. And you can also translate that maybe to men's clothing as, um, Roan kind of has already started doing, but maybe there's other, um, breakthroughs that that can be out there for men's butts
1: yeah so let me ask you do you want to see men's butts in yoga pants
0: um i i i like big butts and i cannot <laughs> lie <laughs> i i don't i would not mind that i i wouldn't interesting yeah. okay
1: well, I mean, we'll see if that happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
0: if you started walking around in yoga pants, I'd be like, yeah, Oh, babe, no, I'm cool. not going to be the
1: trendsetter <laughs> no. in this area.
0: <laughs> we'll see. Talk to us in a year, and you're going to be like, hey, I just got these yoga pants. <laughs>
1: yeah. Maybe, but I'll be late to the party. <laughs> okay.
0: You, want, you just want to see it like all like work out first before yeah. you hop on. Got it. Okay. And so another trend, while we're kind of talking about bodily aesthetics... Something that has just exploded this year and I can see it being becoming even more of a trend um, in 2024 is weight loss medications. Right. Yes. So which one huge business comes to mind when you think of weight loss medication? The
1: Zempi. The Zempic. Zempi.
0: Yes. Ozempic, Zempic. Um, and that is just it's something that's been known um, I don't know. It's like this household name now, like on our street, like everyone is talking about how housewives are like on Ozempic because they want to lose that last, like, you know, 10 pounds before the event or the party or whatever. And like, people are kind of getting on these, you know, medications that are supposed to be for diabetes. So, so what like Ozempic and these weight loss medications are it's a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And so GLP-1 is a glucagon-like peptide receptor agonist. Um, before 2012, there were only a few weight loss medications approved by by the FDA. But recently, it's just become approved for weight loss, um, and people have kind of been trying it as they were treating diabetes. So like Ozempic... Um, was is, It's originally a type 2 diabetes medication to help lower blood sugar um, in patients. It acts on um, a receptor in your brain to tell your body that you're not hungry, and it helps to optimize the control of insulin levels. So there's Ozempic, but um, that one, the FDA-approved version of Ozempic um, that is approved for weight loss and not just diabetes is actually called wagovi. And I don't know if you've heard of that.
1: I've, yeah, I've, I've read that. I still call it Ozempic. Though.
0: Right. And I think that's what uh, that, and that's what I'm learning. And maybe I'm just like late to the party, but like I just figured everyone was on Ozempic and they're just using like diabetes medication, but really there is the Ozempic for weight loss and that's called Wigovi. Um, And you know, it's, it's this injection that's approved for use in adults and children aged 12 years old or more with um, signs of obesity. Um, another medication that is out in the market is called Manjaro. Have you ever heard of that?
1: Yeah, uh, I didn't know that that was in the same class.
0: Okay, yeah. So that's a once a week shot. It is a GLP-1 and a GIP receptor agonist. GIP is glucose dependent insulin um, or tropic polypeptide. So both GIP and GLP-1, they're gut peptides that enhance increased um, insulin secretion um, after you eat something oh, so okay. after like oral nutrient intake um, it's already been approved and um, indicated as like a supplement to diet and exercise to improve glycemic control in adults with type 2 diabetes so manjaro is approved for diabetes whereas um, they just, had a, an fda approved one for um weight loss, which is called zepbound, okay, so that's the manjaro for weight loss basically cool um and you know these things are not supposed to be for people who want to just lose that extra ten pounds before their wedding or you know just feel like they just need to like use it, lose it, and then forget about it. It's really. For people who have tried all different diets, all different exercises, and just have come to like their last.
1: And are actually obese. And right? are,
0: yes. And how, ha- yeah, or borderline, ob- or like are getting to sure. the obesity level. So, you know, it's not recommended for people because there's also, it's just so new that people don't really know like the big complications right now, right? Or any.
1: Long- and longer term side effects.
0: Exactly, right. Although
1: people have been on it for diabetes for. A long time, right?
0: Right. Yes. But they have the uh, markers for, you know, what it's supposed to treat. Like, you know, it, some people who are type two diabetic are also struggling with obesity. So, right. um, you know, that tracks, that makes sense. But it's for the, the people who aren't anywhere close to being obese that just want to shed some pounds. Like, is this safe for them? Doctors aren't really sure that they can like say... Definitively, yes or no?
1: Yeah, so, and it, was, it looks like Ozempic was approved in 2017 by the FDA for treating type two diabetes. So it's not that long. Like they don't have that much history right, on it.
0: Right. I mean, what in the in terms of like long term effects, they do know that like it's caused thyroid cancer in the you know test labs that or test rats that they have. Oh, okay. Um, and the longer you stay on it unnecessarily the higher the complications. So it's better to only be on it for a shorter period of time, but there's still short term effects that people have seen like nausea, constipation, hair loss. Um, There's rumors that there've been like, you know, cases of like blockages or deaths. But um, one of the podcasts that I heard where they were interviewing a doctor in Beverly Hills, who like, you know, 70% of the people in Beverly Hills are basically (laughs) on a Zempic um or a, a certain kind of um GLP-1 he says that he's never seen like a blockage or a death from it um the biggest like backlash from this and so so like oprah recently came out and said that you know she is on um wegovy and she's lost so much weight and she feels really good because she's been struggling with like uh-huh. you know her weight fluctuation throughout the years um and she was You know, she was hesitant about, like, coming out and saying it because there was such a stigma around people who were taking Ozempic and didn't have diabetes or didn't need it. Um, But that was um, also because of... The fact that there were shortages in Ozempic for people with diabetes right. who actually needed it, but now that's not the case anymore. There's not that shortage, and it's not like you're taking away from somebody who's diabetic because right. you it's need a different it for weight drug loss. Also, exactly right.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've heard it called a miracle drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these GLP ones. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh <laughs> probably the most effective um weight loss treatment that's ever been developed. Yeah. Uh, I I think as long as it's safe, um, you know, it's clearly effective for a large majority of people who who use it.
0: Yeah. I think one thing that like people, like a misconception of Ozempic is that, you know, it will get rid of your problem areas where that's not what the drug does. Like it doesn't, you know, see that, you have a really nice ass, but you want to get rid of your bye-bye arm and it just gets rid of your bye-bye arm. Like it's going to, it's going <laughs> to get ri- I don't know what that's called. Like, <laughs> But, um, that's, you know, and so a lot of people, like one of the side effects that they were saying that like they would have is like a Zempic butt or Zempi face <laughs> oh. where it's like, just like a saggy butt or like a saggy face. Um, obviously that happens more with people who are, you know, very, um, heavy in the first place. And like older with like less skin elasticity, elasticity. Uh And, um, so, you know, when they lose that, that dramatic weight, it sags a little bit. Um, but one thing that people don't realize is that the weight, um, is, is they're losing muscle mass primarily. It's not necessarily fat loss. So for people who kind of want to get cut and get toned, this is not the medication that you want because it's it's just going to kind of like deplete you of your muscle mass, um,
1: and this is because you're not going to be hungry right as hungry, right. so you're not going to eat enough nutrients right,
0: yes, and the so protein you can't you build
1: made. yeah. I mean, you're, you're probably losing both, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. But like what people don't really understand is that like, you're not going to have that like toned ass. So like for this, you know, big butt trend for men. Yeah. Zempic's not going to help you most likely. You're going to have zempy butt (laughs) and not a big butt. (laughs) Okay. And then the last trend um, that I was going to focus on is generative AI artificial intelligence so that's obviously something that's people have talked about and has like always kind of like been in the works like google's already embedding the new ai into their you know free service
1: yeah um i mean ai exploded um in 2023 yeah um so it was definitely a trend already going into 2023 but so you're saying uh i mean i think this is definitely true but it's going to it's going to intensify in 2024.
0: Yes, but we don't really know how. And I think that's where like the question is, like where can you go with generative AI? Do people call it gen AI? I don't think so. Okay, well, I'm going to coin that (laughs) term. (laughs) Um, But like what, yeah, what are people going to do with um, generative AI to, you know, make sure that it's going to be something successful and it's not just like, these like slow systems that are still like producing like weird erratic results. Right.
1: What are the applications for it? And um, yeah, where where is it going long term? Right. Like where will it be uh, actually useful?
0: Yeah. And how how are people going to use it to actually make work more productive and not necessarily because right. that's the promise. Yes, but not necessarily taking away work or jobs from people. Right. It's just to like supplement what people are already doing to make things easier. Um one of the things that I was exploring um because I was recently talking to a college student and you know this is something that I don't you know I don't really know a lot about is that how now high school and college students are using generative AI tools to basically like write their essays and do their homework and, and all that. And so where at first, um, you know, anti-plagiarism software was out there like targeting AI generated content, um, the, you know, schools and like the education system, they're they're seeing though that maybe there's a way to promote using AI because it's going to be out there. In real life, and like you kind of have to understand how to use it in the workforce, so maybe there's like some way to encourage people to use AI but not you know to make to do their homework for them or something like that
1: right yeah, like I mean it is a tool it's like it's probably it's like when the calculator was introduced right mm, yeah, <laughs> like everybody had a right. calculator it's like well this tool's at your disposal now um but the I think the difference is AI like, you still want to challenge your students to think right. independently. Right. Um, you know, to use a calculator, you still have to think. Um. You know, you, you have to...
0: Like, what is the system you need to type in in order for it to make sense? Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. But, like, if you can just, look, like, ask ChatGPT to write a paper for you and give it the, um you know, give it the assignment and mm-hmm. it'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um. I think right now it's not good enough to, to do that and... Pass. Um, well, no, I mean... It can pass, but, like, I think you're. there's a lot of signs that, it, like, if you just turned in what ChatGPT right. gave you, right. like, yeah. they will probably know. Right. Um, so you still have to modify it and, like, you know, make it your own.
0: Which some professors are saying isn't actually a bad thing right. because it's allowing you to still read it and you're learning from what you read. It's, it's kind of like a, you know, poor man's research, but, like, you're still gaining knowledge from what ChatGPT puts out. Yeah. And being able to edit it, like you're still utilizing editing skills, and um, I don't know.
1: But if every student did the same thing um, (laughs) with the same uh, software, are you going to get, you know, let's say there's 30 kids in the class, you're going to get 30 assignments that are all generally the same.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, if if it's an opinion piece or something, and and you know, the AI software like knows you and who you are, and I don't know. I don't. I I just feel like it's a really interesting thing that's happening. And it's not necessarily like a scary thing or, you know, like a bad thing, just because it's different from yeah. what we are used to in terms of like education and, and, and school.
1: Yeah. Universities are going to have to adapt. Um, right. they already are, you know, working on it. Yeah, uh, There will be new guidelines, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where that goes, but that's definitely going to continue growing in 2024. So those are the three trends that I wanted to highlight
1: yeah and i think um for ai specifically like there was so much investment there has been so much investment mm-hmm. in ai startups mm-hmm. over the last year or so yeah. year or two um we are going to see we're probably also going to see a lot of those startups fail mm-hmm. uh, because you know they couldn't find a an application for their um software or they couldn't yeah like they you know who's the buyer you know for for their software right. um just with the number of startups that were funded, you know, probably 90% of them are going to fail mm-hmm. just because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. But, like, that doesn't mean that AI as a um, technology is failing. Right. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll just have to see where it goes.
0: Yeah. <sighs> All right, Tony, are you ready to hear who our very first hot mom of the week of 2024 is?
1: Yes. Like, I'm on the edge of my seat.
0: I know, I'm sure you are. (laughs) So, without further ado, it's time for our Hot Mom of the Week.
1: Yeah, whoa, last time I checked, I'm still hot, real hot.
0: Okay, so since we did a spotlight on Fiverr, um, I thought that we could highlight maybe a creative and trending graphic designer as our Hot Mom of the Week. So, um, her name is Jessica Hish, and it's at Jessica Hish, J E -S S S I C A. H-I-S-C-H-E. Okay. Um, And she is an American lettering artist, illustrator, author, and type designer. So she makes fonts. I love different fonts.
1: Cool. Yeah, me too. Um, Especially like as a web developer, you're always looking for a cool font to use.
0: Yeah. So she was one of the first of a new generation of letterers. And um, the present day flourishing of the lettering arts can... um, in part, be traced back to her emergence. So um, her bio says, if you ever ask yourself, should I work for free? Jessica created a flowchart for that. Um, she follows a philosophy that she coined work um, in which she does side projects with passion until they become projects that pay. So I think that's pretty relevant to, you know, startups and the freelancers that we kind of yeah, definitely. talked about. Along the way, she's merged the visually innovative with practical business acumen, and um, she's become a mentor and an influencer to creatives of all types. Um, She also created a website as another side project called Don't Fear the Internet, and that's a tutorial website that teaches basic HTML and CSS to beginning web designers, and she co-created that with her husband, whose name is Russ. Um, She lives in Oakland, California with three children, ages four to eight. Uh, Pretty
1: cool. I'm looking at her on Instagram. She's got some cool stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's really talented. Um, And I just love that she kind of works via her passion first. And that's what drives her to, you know, create revenue. And that's why she is our hot mom of the week. (laughs)
1: Nice. Nice. Well, that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed the episode, hit the subscribe button.
0: And reach out on social media.
1: Dot coms.
0: And hot moms.
1: Signing off.